Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. My guest today is in Vietnam, where he lives with his wife, Kimmy, and their son, Daniel. His name is Ryan Cooper, who is originally from Terre Haute, Indiana. And that's where I met him more than 15 years ago when I was pastor and his pastor there in Terre Haute. So welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. I'm grateful, Ryan, that you have agreed to do this. In fact, we were talking about it some months back because of the adventures that you have had. And uh, you reminded me that uh, we were going to have a podcast. I thought, well, why not just ask him right away and do it as soon as we possibly can. But Ryan has been a person who has thought and lived outside the box. He has ended up living in Cambodia and Vietnam and maybe even other places that I haven't noted. Our lives separated in Terre Haute more than a dozen years ago. And I have just heard about him and really haven't, I don't believe that I've uh, met all, all this time, but we have corresponded quite a bit. He's not only living in areas far away, but he's working and serving. More than a year ago, he was married, and now they just recently had a son. So this is all kind of very interesting to me. In fact, I'm looking forward to even getting better acquainted with Ryan through this podcast. But anyway, we're very grateful to have you here and uh, talk about what's going on and how things are where you live in Vietnam. You mentioned Vietnam and just living in Vietnam. It brings back a lot of feelings back to my time when I was in high school, when the Vietnam War was raging. And I remember very well there was a draft, and we were, unless you could get a student deferment, you were liable to be drafted and sent to Vietnam. Several of my classmates you know, were drafted. I remember one was killed in, in Vietnam. My wife's brother-in-law was also killed in Vietnam. That war has feeling for us. But Vietnam has changed quite a bit. I just wanted to express some thoughts that I've had about this area and the feelings that it conjures up. But here we have Ryan, who's living in Vietnam, and I'd like him to tell us a little bit about himself and maybe tell us what he did before he went to Vietnam because he was in Cambodia before that. So, Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I've been across Asia now for about 10 or so years. Uh, I started off in South Korea. I lived in Incheon for, for about a year. And I'll just go through the countries that I lived in and then share a little bit of information about that. I, I hadn't realized that you were uh, that you lived in Korea, too. Uh, so, so the countries that I've lived in so far have been... Korea, Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Uh, with Korea and in Thailand, it was just about a year. But with Cambodia, I lived there about three years. And with, with Vietnam, it's been about six years now. Hmm. So the longest place I've ever been at has been Vietnam. So that's a lot of my experiences in Asia have been here. But I've had uh, wonderful experiences in, in, in every country, and, but I had hardship too. Uh, with Korea, that was my first time ever living outside of home. So that was the first time I've ever moved out of mom and dad's house. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was definitely a new experience for me. And 
I remember the first week or so when I was in Korea that, that it was pretty difficult to be that far away from mom and dad. I'd never been that far away. So, but it was a good experience after, after spending time there and, and getting adjusted to living in Korea, uh, it, things seemed to improve. I really, I really enjoyed fellowship with uh, a man named Mr. Shin. Every Sabbath, we'd meet at my apartment, and we'd have a Bible study there. So I, I really, I really enjoyed that. This is in Korea that you, you you felt. Yeah, that was in Korea. Okay, how did you find him? Uh, we worked together. We, uh -huh. we worked together at a hogwan, and I just invited him to come. And then there was a young lady that also came, and we had we had Bible study there every Sabbath. Usually about in the morning, morning or afternoon, I can't remember, but it was every Sabbath, and uh, it was quite an it was quite an enjoyable time for me there, and uh, yeah, I li I like Korea, food is excellent. Uh, the the next the next place that I went to was was Thailand, and I taught I taught English there as well at a government school, and. Uh, it was good too. You know, the the classrooms were, were were quite huge, like forty to fifty students in the classroom. It's quite a large classroom. So yeah, the the time that my time spent there was was good, and I I think in Thailand I was able to lose some weight as well because I started walking more and exercising more. And at prior to that, I was pushing almost three hundred pounds. So. Since I've come to to Asia, I've lost about fifty pounds, and that's that's been really good for my health. You probably remember me when I was pushing almost three hundred pounds. Well, I know <laughs> I know you've been a big guy, and remember you're walking into services one time with a Larry Bird <laughs> uniform. <laughs> Larry Bird was from you know uh, the basketball player from from Terre Haute, but I do I do remember you well, and you're very much and very well remembered by the people there. Uh, Nelson Arnold really has a lot of regard for you. Uh, and then, and then after, uh, after Thailand, I went, yeah, after Thailand, I went to Cambodia and I was there for three years and LifeNets was really able to help me get some projects off the ground. Uh, the water well and the deep countryside, that was, that was phenomenal. Uh, I was able to go there. I was able to go to the village. I was able to see the the water uh, flowing, and I'm certain that it was clean. However, I ate or drank something there. I think I came down with dysentery for about one month. I was very sick. I, I just got. I just went to see and make sure everything was good. And uh, LifeNets made sure that I I had the money to pay for that, and I I paid for it. After I saw, I went there. I inspected it, make sure everything was good. Then, uh, then I made sure the company that produced this water well uh, received their funds. Um, but, you know, it was just bad things happen to good people. That's what it seemed like after I went there and I met all those people, and it was a great time. I, I was really sick for about one month. I, I believe I came down with dysentery, and uh, I was a it was a terrible experience, but but I was really happy about the water well. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that uh, it really what really struck me was is that here you are, all by yourself, you are uh, 
connecting and making connections and uh, trying to find work. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you've done, especially with uh, your uh, desire to or skill in teaching English. But I do remember that uh, you saw a need for a borehole, a well there, and uh, we kind of worked together to produce this well and to have it available for the community. In fact, we have a story about it on LifeNets. I will include a link to that story uh, in the notes connected with this podcast. Uh, yeah, so so I, I oversaw that, and I really connected with the, the students in Cambodia as well. I, I really loved going to school. You know, every every place that I've I've taught at, I really enjoy teaching young people. It's it's really it's a really wonderful feeling. It's it's very rewarding. And when I when I'm not doing that, I I just uh, I don't feel as good. I like to be working and I like to be teaching in the classroom. It's it's with the people wherever I am. And that that's Korea, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. It's it's all been the same for me. You know, this all the students that I've taught Usually I'm teaching English, and I hope they learn a lot. And I still remember them even after. I, I really, I really wanted to get back to teaching, so I went. I went to Cambodia, and and while I was there, I saw that there was a lot of need. So, uh, that's. I think that's probably the reason why I spent so much time there. In Cambodia, I was concerned about, you know, what kind of difference I could make by going there. So that, that was maybe a, a major motivation for me to go there. Did you work through any or, organization, or did you just, just show up? I showed up. That's what I did. <laughs> well, tell us about that. I just showed up. Showed up on scene like I have everywhere so far. Uh, and so, so you come to Ca Cambodia, and uh, who, what doors do you knock on, and how do you represent yourself, and how did you get into the country? Oh well, I just, I just, I just flew in, and uh, I didn't really, you know, with with Korea and Thailand, I was promised a job beforehand, mm -hmm. but with Cambodia, there was no such promise. Mm -hmm. So, I went there hoping things would work out, and and, uh, and it did. And so, your purpose, your livelihood, so to speak, was to teach English or how was it to, to work with kids or uh, what what was it? Well, you know, I, I really like to teach English and, and I really think that by teaching English in this part of the world that it can help it can help people raise themselves out of poverty. So mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that's one of the main, that's that was one of the main motivations I had for going to Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And then I also I also had a Bible study there in Cambodia as well, and mm -hmm. uh, I even had like a, a restaurant gave me a room to use. Uh -huh. They didn't even charge anything. That was that was really great. But most of my time was spent inside of a classroom teaching teaching young people. Mm -hmm. Well, did you connect with any other you know expat organizations from the United States or Great Britain, or uh, how how did you yeah. operate? The main organization that I, I connected with was with LifeNuts. Uh -huh. I reached out to other organizations, but they didn't seem to want to really do anything. 
Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, that kind of happens at times. Even if they didn't, I, I still I still wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've done I've done some projects on my own there in Cambodia as well. Like I I helped start uh, a chicken farm. You know, so somebody have some chickens. I know that you captured the hearts of people who read the reports in Australia. You know, and we have a LifeNet's you know partner organization too in Australia. And I know that they were very interested in what you were doing. I think that's really great. I I, I really love those people in Australia. I, and I, I've met I've met lots of Australians since I've been living in Southeast Asia. And I'm, I'm really glad that that they they were such a huge part of that well success. If if they hadn't been involved, it would have been really difficult for me to see that well completed. So mm. I'm, I'm so appreciative and, and, and very happy that they were able to help for uh, for that well in Cambodia. Well, I was just very impressed. The one thing I was impressed about the well, the borehole, was uh, just the nice plaques that they had on there with the Cambodian script, you know, which is which is quite different looking. It was just beautiful, the colors, the script, uh, and the water. Oh, yeah. it, it really warmed Bev my heart uh, to see the progress that you had made and 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 the uh, joy that it brought to the community. Oh yeah, they they were re- they were really happy about it. I, I posted that video on YouTube, and I I think you were able to make a, a a better edited version of that that you also posted as well. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it was a great it was a it was a pleasure to be with those people. Mm-hmm. It was really, it was really remote, but I, I'm, I'm really happy that that we were able to do that together. Especially with the, the people in Australia, they really made that, they really made that happen. I know yeah. that when I talk to them, you know, they've had a number of people that have been kind of running life nets, and they have made that their main function of, of the churches there too, uh, life nets in helping out overseas, is that uh, they seem to be interested perhaps because of the proximity of Cambodia to, to Australia, you know, Southeast Asia and, and Australia, but they spoke very warmly uh, about that. Well, one thing I was going to mention here is you know, those areas, Cambodia, Vietnam, were so traumatized. You know, even when I think and I hear the word Vietnam, and I know the very first time that I flew over Vietnam, uh, it was uh, on a flight from Hong Kong to Bangkok, and they said we were passing over Da Nang. And I remember all the news reports, you know, when I was in my later years of high school and uh, in college about all the battles, the wars, the offenses, the, the push, everything. It, it was such such a tragic story, and the casualties were so high. Uh, certainly, you saw some after effects, even after perhaps a decade or two of post-war. And yet the countries, both Cambodia and Vietnam have recovered, but can you comment on some of the trauma that was left over from the wars? Oh, sure. Uh, with 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 Vietnam, you know, when you go to the war museum, you you can see that you know it wasn't only Agent Orange that affected people. There was there was like a dozen or more types of different agents that were apparently dropped, mm-hmm. and those are those are still affecting those people. That where where it was dropped, uh, you you sometimes see uh, the children. This is not only in in Vietnam, but also in Cambodia. The children with with giant heads, mm-hmm. su- super large heads. It's it's really sad. 
and uh, I, I think that the children that are born with that, it's like almost impossible to recover from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the after effect of, of some of those those agents that were dropped in uh, in Vietnam are, are still ongoing. Uh, with with Cambodia, they have a lot of mines still left over from uh, from what I believe the Khmer Rouge. Mm-hmm. They they put a lot of mines up. Even even in Vietnam, you know, like in the countryside was all those bombs dropped, some people, they lose their leg or they die from the, the bomb that was dropped over 40 or 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a real, it's a real tragedy, but the, the economic situation in Vietnam is, is really good right now. They've really turned things around, I guess. I mean, I was born in 1983, so I, I don't really know what the situation was prior to this but when when i talked to my family here that you know when my wife was younger they were a lot poorer than they are than than they are now like you know their family's like a middle class family here mm-hmm. and uh it's because things are developing and changing there's all kinds of development now both in cambodia and vietnam and the lives of people are improving from the economic development that are happening that's happening in both countries what kind of economic development uh, is it uh, that's bringing up the standard of living I, I, I you know that that's a good question I know, I know that there's a lot more factories and a lot of things more things are being built and, and created like with uh, with Cambodia a lot of it is um, the garment industry but with with Vietnam a lot of a lot of jobs are being shipped from China to Vietnam, and there's a lot of te- new tech jobs uh-huh. that didn't exist here before. Yeah, so that's that's making a bit of a difference. Now, one thing that really struck me, too, was Vietnam, Vietnam veterans. Some of them have gone back, and they've bought property, and they've kind of settled in Vietnam. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I know of one person who was a Vietnam vet that was here Uh he, he went back to America maybe two or three years ago. But when I first when I first came here, I met him. His name was Bill. He he fought in the Vietnam War, and uh, he was just an English teacher. And he really he just really enjoyed uh, his life here. But he decided to go back to America. But I haven't met any Vietnam vets that have bought property here. That might be more in Da Nang, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm more in. Uh, Ho Chi Minh City in the Mekong Delta area, so I haven't mm. I haven't met so many of them. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly the people that I've been meeting in the last two or three years, they've been from Russia or the Ukraine, and it's been young people. Is that right? So they they have come from Russia and, and Ukraine to live in Vietnam. Yeah, and and uh, and and the reason for both of those, you know, groups of young people, it's the same reason. They don't want to fight each other. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that, that's yeah. very, very interesting. This is, you've given us some very interesting in- insights into Southeast Asia because, once again, when I think of Southeast Asia and what we were going through in our impressionable minds at age 18, 19, 20, you know, starting college and the war and the protest music and everything that was taking place, uh, it just brings back actually very ugly uh, feelings from that time. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. I, I, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be in Vietnam at a time of peace. 
Uh-huh. It's, uh, you know, people people are really friendly to me. Uh-huh. They, they've been really friendly, yeah. With the government that's in Vietnam, it, it is the uh, government from, Min, Han, from Hanoi, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, that's right. And it is a communist uh, government? It is a communist government. Uh-huh. That's right. But they're very tolerant of Americans, and, and you get along, and business as usual? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and and you'd be you'd be surprised like if if I wanted to start a small food court cart business, mm-hmm. I could just go outside tomorrow and start selling banh mi's on the street and no problem. Uh huh. <laughs> Anybody who wants to start a small business, you just you just get the equipment and go out tomorrow and just do it. So their laws and their culture towards entrepreneurism. At that level is quite quite wide oh, open. Oh, really good. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, they. Uh, it, it's really easy to do business in Vietnam. Uh-huh. Just uh, you want to do it, you have money, you just go ahead and do it. It's 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 super easy. So like anyone anyone can do it. So just... like uh, during during COVID nineteen time, uh, there was a there was a French there was a Frenchman that I knew. And we, we couldn't really speak to each other because he could speak French and I could speak English. But I had a Vietnamese friend that he could speak French and English. And he he had a little business during COVID-19, right, right sometime during COVID-19. And uh, he was selling food on the street. No problem for him. Mm-hmm. Just, now, the languages that are spoken, is uh, English, you hear English a lot or, or not? Yes, there are a lot of young people speak English, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of people that I can talk to in English here, and uh, that that makes things that makes things a lot easier. Uh, I, but I'm still working on learning some Vietnamese. I, I know a little bit now, but I'm I'm working on learning more. Uh-huh. The more I stay, the more I'm able to learn more. You know. But what what about French? Or that was all French Indochina. Is French still around or or not? Uh, that's that's interesting that you asked that. Uh, a lot of the some of the older people know French, mm-hmm. both in Cambodia and in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I went to the hospital in Phnom Penh before at the the Soviet hospital, they they uh, the the doctor wrote everything in French. You know when he wrote mm-hmm. wrote down what was going on, huh. know, he wrote it down in French. It made it easier. You know I could translate the French a lot easier than the Khmer. Well, it'll be interesting to watch a document documentary about that area after talking to you. It just oh, absolutely. I I really I really I really like it here. Uh, next year, I'm really wanting to travel across Vietnam by train. I'm I'm hoping to save up the money and and travel from the south to the north and stop at places along the way. And I'm I'm planning on doing a little video series on that. Maybe next maybe next summer. Oh. I'll try to do that. That'd be great. I wish you could send it to us, and perhaps we could somehow uh, propagate oh, it. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll probably post it on. I'll probably post it on TikTok and YouTube. Okay. I'll post different cities along the way. I, I, I'm doing that. I do that. I'll do a little bit of that now. What what I what I find really interesting here in Vietnam is that you know like the the most southern part, which is where I'm at, uh-huh. used to be part of the Khmer Empire. And so Sok Trang and Travin have a lot of Khmer people there. So when you when you go to those places in Vietnam, there's a lot of uh, Khmer uh, architecture. 
mm-hmm. and my temples there. And that's pretty interesting to see for me in, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing different from yeah, one thing ahead. that really struck me about uh, Americans got involved in Vietnam. They were dealing with French French people, and you know the French uh, Vietnamese, and it was just interesting to see that French culture in the construction and the buildings and uh, all at that time. Uh, so that's why I bring up the, the French. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can still see French architecture in Ho Chi Minh City. Like mm-hmm. uh, behind, behind, the, uh, behind the Ho Chi Minh's uh, statue, there's, a, there's an old French building, and there's, there's even parts of the city that you can see really old uh, French architecture. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. And and you know the popular sandwich, the banh mi, mm-hmm. and which is like a sub sandwich, and uh, pho, which is uh, rice noodles and beef. Mm-hmm. All that developed during uh, French colonization. What's the population now of uh, Vietnam? I think the population now is about 100 million people. Yeah, that's that's what I and thought. It's huge. It's huge. It's a lot of people. Yeah. And and the place that I'm, the place that I usually live. Not right now. I'm in the countryside with my wife and son. But the place where I usually am in Ho Chi Minh City, which used to be called Saigon, and some people call it Saigon, and some people call it Ho Chi Minh City, uh, there's about 10 million people there. Wow. It, it's a really big city. It, mm. I, I, I say there's too much to do there. It's, so the economy's good. People are having a good time, so to speak. The economy did kind of take a hit after COVID nineteen, so mm-hmm. the the price, the price of goods have gone up a little bit, and and also, with you know my field teaching, there's not as much work as there used to be mm-hmm. in my field. Unfortunately, a lot of factory workers will send their children to English centers to learn English to help improve their chances of a, a better life in the mm-hmm. future. So. That's what the assessment of my British friend said. He said that's probably the reason, you know, after COVID-19, a lot of English centers have been hit. Even mm. even my even my wife's family, you know, my family here, the, they have an English center, and uh, they don't have as many students as they used to have. Mm-hmm. So the economy has taken a hit since, since COVID. Perhaps tell us a little bit about your personal situation. Uh, I, I feel badly that I missed you when you came through here in May, I believe it was, but there was so much going on, and we're in transition. My wife and I are moving back to Indianapolis here uh, in in a month or so, in, in actually just after the Feast of Tabernacles. So um, we, we have been in, in transition. Actually, we'll be closer to you if you come back to Terre Haute. Uh, to visit, okay. but t- tell us about your personal situation. What the prognosis is? I know you've kind of mentioned that that since COVID, things have really slowed down, and there's these English centers. But well, what does it look like for you right now? My my personal situation is that I'm not. I haven't been working so much this summer because there's not a lot of work to go around. But uh, September 5th should be should be the start of the new school year. Uh-huh. And then I just I just have to wait a little while longer, and then things should be good again. I think probably oh. about October sixteenth, I'll have another paycheck. Oh. But it, you know, it's just kind of I like to work. I want to be inside a classroom. I want to be teaching. And and when I'm not doing that, it's 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 kind of hard on me. I, I want to be I want to be doing something all the time. And it's been nice to spend time with my wife and 
and look at my son every day, but I really, uh, I'm really hoping that I get back to work soon. But, uh-huh. you know, I'm familiar with the situation. Like there's, I know when school will be in session and when school won't be in session. And I, I generally have an idea, but going back to not being able to meet me, that's fine. Uh, I hope to meet you again in the future. You know, I'm, I'm really, I, I, I'm really happy about, I'm really happy about my life with my wife and uh, having a son. I was just, I was just talking to her this morning, you know, I'm like, I'm 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about, you know, maybe 20 years ago, when you, when you think about midlife crisis, I, I told her, I said, if this is a midlife crisis, then that's a good thing. <laughs> so you know i because I, i've never been i've never been married before and mm-hmm. i've never had children and you know i got married when i was 39 and mm-hmm. i had a son when i was 40 so it it is a really new development in my life and, and i'm really happy about it yeah well I'm, my I'm wife really, and i when we heard that you were married you know we were just very very happy i thought oh that's that's great ryan's gotten married then we hear about daniel being born and we have appreciated the photographs that you have sent and uh uh just just hearing about what you do and and uh you might tell us a little bit about some of the students that you have promoted uh, you had one by the name of two t-u two he was, was a scholarship student Maybe, tell us a little bit about him yeah that's right yeah, uh, you know, he, he told me about his need, and I, I said, well, I, I don't know if I'll be able to help you or not, but I'll talk to I'll talk to LifeNets and see if there's any way that we can get you a scholarship. And then uh, then Beverly sent me the, the document to fill out, and then and then I'm, I'm, I'm certain that I sent all the documents about what everything costs. But uh, he was able to graduate, and I was able to send you a picture, uh, I don't I don't know how long that's been. That might have been two or three years ago. A lot of what I've been thinking about lately is the situation with the Ukraine, and I know that you're doing a lot to help the people in the Ukraine, so I haven't really uh, too much of a need, and it hasn't uh, really been struck on my heart. But if I if I see it, I'll, I'll go, well, let's see if, if life nets can do something to help or not, and then if not, maybe I can help. So well, that's what I try to do sometimes yeah and i i admire that very much you know the big thing that we do is uh probably boreholes uh that's one of the biggest things that that we do because they serve an entire community and uh, you know we were kind of taken aback by the fact that cambodia had some of the same needs that our african places had you know for boreholes so and and water is so very very important water is life but it sounds like right where you are in, in vietnam is more more modern there but uh, I know that you're always on the lookout for you know people that could be helped, and I just admire you greatly, Ryan, for being like a committee of one and just making things happen. and And we have appreciated being able to work work with that. Do you have contact with uh, many here in the U.S.? Not not so much. Uh-huh. I, uh, I I'd like to have more contact with more people. Uh, you know, I of course I write Nelson sometimes, and I also write Tim, and then I write you and your wife. Uh, but but generally, I, I don't have a lot of contact with people, and uh, let, let's see. Oh, of course, you know I already said this earlier, but really appreciative of the people in Australia that helped with that that water well before. I, I know that I'm certain that there is more needs for more water wells in Cambodia, 
but right now I don't have any contacts. Uh, the, the person that I had contact with, I haven't really heard from him so much lately. And, uh, so I haven't heard of any additional needs. Well, that could be because of COVID-19. There wasn't really anything that you could do for two, for two to two and a half years. There wasn't a whole lot of things that you were allowed or, or able to do. Uh-huh. Might, that was kind of a stressful situation for me, too. I might mention, kind of going back to Cambodia, that's where Paul Pot was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 Tell us uh, a, a bit about the after effects of that. I mean, he was committed a horrible genocide in that country. Certainly, there have got to be after effects that last to this day, aren't there? Absolutely. Uh, you know, like over one third of the population was, was, was murdered. Cambodia's population. It isn't as big as as what it would be if if that many people hadn't been killed. And you know, a lot of those people in the Khmer Rouge, they were they were still in the countryside near Thailand for years and years and years. And recently, the remaining leaders they they put on trial. Uh huh. Uh, I remember I remember reading that, and uh, I guess they finally were served justice after uh -huh. after this trial, but. You know, 40 or 50 years had already passed at that point, or 30 or 40 at least. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I don't know. I can't tell you all the after effects. I, I, can, just, I can just tell you that things are getting better. Mm -hmm. Since when I first arrived in Cambodia in 2014, and then I went there last year in 2022, the situation with Phnom Penh, they they're building a lot more skyscrapers than they used to have. There's a lot more money being poured into Cambodia and uh, in the countryside. Mm -hmm. uh, they also have China aid is helping people, um, you know, with their houses, mm -hmm. poor people's houses. They help uh, make those better. Basically. I've seen, uh, I've seen this, uh, the China aid, it's uh, and I have a and I have a sign and they help with uh, making the bit the countryside building made of straw and then they make put some metal and stuff and they basically the house looks better after they built. Mm -hmm. I believe they've been doing a lot of that. Well, Ryan, it's just been so eye opening to talk to you to just get a little bit of a glimpse of life in those areas and also to acquaint our audience here with. Ryan Cooper, <laughs> he's a, a Christian, a Sabbath keeper, member of the United Church of God, who lives in Cam uh, in uh, Vietnam, yeah. uh, who, who yeah. serves in that area. And I'm sure that some people would appreciate, you know, hearing things more. If you have stories to tell, we would be glad to publish them on our LifeNet's website and uh, tell us tell us more about what you're doing. Thank you for having me on. Okay, well, give greetings to Kimmy. We haven't met her. We have appreciated the little pictures of, of Daniel that you named after Daniel the prophet. We appreciated your story that you told about that. And uh, thank, you for, right. thank you for being on our podcast. Okay, thank you. May God bless you, and we'll, okay. talk, we'll talk to you again. Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are.
Remember, Kubik is spelled K-U-B-I-K. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.